0: Welcome to this edition of Frontline Conversations. Today we are joined by Professor Mzubisukobo, a man who wears many hats, including being a member of President Ramaphosa's Economic Advisory
1: Council. Professor, welcome and
0: thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, thanks Tara for having me uh, on your podcast this afternoon.
0: Yes, Uh, firstly, let's talk about the Presidential Advisory Council. Uh, you were recently appointed, along with a number of other luminaries in the economic space. Mm. Uh, you guys are meant to advise the president uh, mm.
1: on uh, economic matters. Mm. Tell us, what does the council do? Just first to say that uh, the economic advisory councils are nothing new. Uh, the you know the US has uh, economic advisory council or council of economic advisors, they call it. You have one in India. Uh, you you know you have have these advisory councils around around the world both in emerging economies and advanced industrial economies uh, they really are meant to to reflect on on big themes mm-hmm. on the economy and, and advise the president um, on the areas that he sets out as, as priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, if you like, it's really demand-driven. Uh, it's it's based on the needs of the president. Uh, and as you know, that uh, the economy is at, at the centre of our focus uh, today. Uh, we you know, many uh, economic issues that South Africa is grappling with today. So having a structure like this uh, is is important uh, for providing that additional layer of insights. Uh, to the decision makers, so we have. Uh, although I mean I'm not speaking on behalf of the yes. advisory council, but just on my personal yes. uh, capacity and my involvement. Uh, you know, we, we do have people who are strong in macro economy. Economy. We have people who are agriculturally economic economists. We have uh, people who have done a lot of work on labour market. Um, uh, Economics. we have uh, experts on innovation dynamic capabilities we you know your Mariana Masukato we have your Danny Roderick who has done work on um, on trade in the main trade policies in the main and he's not new in South Africa is he was a member of the Harvard panel of, inter, of uh, international advisors we, we have South Africans who are there um, who Come from different uh, perspectives. Yes. Uh, you know, people who've worked in government, who are macroeconomists. We, you know, we, we have people who um, uh, come from the background of competition policy uh, and so on. So we, we have a diverse yes. a diverse range mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. expertise mm-hmm. skills. Yeah. What yeah. are you talking about? Uh, so what, yeah, what is the president said? This is what I need. Well, I mean, the, the, our work in the main uh, is uh, is defined largely, for now at least, by the uh, National Treasury's economic uh-huh. uh, strategy, the draft economic strategy. So yes. a lot of we spend quite a bit of time talking about aspects of, of, that, of that strategy. Uh, you know, when the finance minister was preparing... For his uh, medium-term budget policy statement, uh, we w- were part of the colloquium yes. to to discuss the responses from the public as well as how the various ideas have been distilled to to provide sort of be- better, for, sharper focus yes. uh, in in the various areas that are in the paper, from network industries, infrastructure, agriculture, uh, and a macroeconomic. Um, Dimensions were overlaid in the paper, as well as uh, on the sectoral uh, policy issues—a mm-hmm. uh, range of them. Uh, so we we deliberated around around those and and offered our views on what ought to be done or what can be done differently. Yes. Uh, it's a very exciting time because at least we are talking—not just yes. those that are yes. in the council. But everyone, everyone is focused on, on the economy. If you read some of the contributions by the South Korean Communist Party and, and the labor movement, the trade, the, especially from trade, trade, trade. Well, I mean, they they make very strong points around the macroeconomic uh, factors, uh, interest rates. Uh, you know that in, in this climate of low growth, mm-hmm. something ought to be done on the interest rates. They say, you know, they. Make reflections on, on the role of the Reserve Bank. Um, they they also you know make critical points about uh, the fact that the sectoral um, policies uh, that the Treasury is pronouncing on sectoral policies, when that in fact is a is a, um, a competence of the, the DTI. And sometimes we we miss the fact that these departments work together yes. and there is a coordination. In the presidency, with regards to how you know these policy positions are are filtered or are, you know are distilled. Yes,
0: but I think just on that, Doc, and specifically the, the the input of the SACP. Yeah. When you look at that in the light of yesterday's decision by the Monetary Policy Committee. Yeah. Uh, of, of the Reserve Bank. I think though there was a sense more or less that rates would, would not be cut, yeah. uh, one would probably say there has been some momentum growing to say look, with, with uh, inflation probably uh, CPI at 3.5 mm-hmm. or at least below 4%, yeah. there is a case to be made yeah. uh, for some or other interest rate cut. And I saw, I think, it was a, an opinion piece um, I'm not sure who it was this morning and it asked the question if not now, if the bank won't cut rates now then when, what are the circumstances under which rates could be cut And I mean, yeah. which is then the point with, with that part of the point that the SACP is making and probably Corsato to say there's a, there's a case to be made either for doing away altogether uh, with inflation targeting, there are different views of course on this or raising the point at which we have defined it uh, as, as, as our, the, four, the 4% band, uh,
1: to say perhaps we want to look at it as being slightly higher, maybe not 4%, maybe 4.5%, as our target. And many people, I think, would agree that uh, in the climate of low growth, um, and also the CPI um, has, has come down below the band, uh, that there would be a wriggle room to... Yes, um, you know, to play with the with with the interest rates. The the challenge is that the the Reserve Bank is a black box. No one knows what what, <laughs> what what's going on what's going on there. There's also uh, there's also oversensitivity in the especially in the South. Ken Reserve Bank about yes. debates on monetary policy and uh, there's a global debate about the role of um, central banks post crisis, uh, especially because many of them. Um, had a legitimacy crisis, crisis. Post, post the global financial it's crisis. Uh, before then, the, the role of the Reserve Bank and the independents were unquestioned, you know, they were sacrosanct. But the tone in the in the debate has changed. The p- pendulum has suddenly swung, okay. and some of the leading thinkers, I mean, your Ed Balls, who worked with Gordon Brown, uh, very closely are in the... At the extract in the UK, uh, and his colleagues at Harvard have written a you know a massive monograph that makes an argument that perhaps you uh, central banks. I'm not talking about the South Korean reserve Bank, Just say, to take yes. the debate yes. outside of their sensitive space, um, their argument, in a very simple way, is that uh, they, there's a lot of pressure on on central banks around the world. You, you saw with Trump um, and Powell in the, the, the U.S., the tensions. Mm-hmm. But they are not good for, you know, for, for the economy, for confidence mm-hmm. in the economy. We also saw in India the central bank governor was, was dismissed. We saw, or resigned rather, we saw in Turkey similar trends. So we, we see these tensions between, uh, in the main finance Ministers or treasuries and and, and, the, and the central banks uh, over policy territory. Who has authority to define the policy uh, space within which monetary policy is is then exercised? And and certainly, in my observation, we the pendulum is shifting. Uh, and and the last thing central banks can do is to be. Uh, you know is to show obstinate obstinacy uh, and, and I think there's a, uh, you know, there, there a, there a room to, to to rethink some of the things that we've always taken for granted because yes. a lot of our policy tools, say for an example, inflation targeting. I'm not saying you must do away with yes. that, but we've copied many of these models yes. f- from countries that are now shifting away yes. from those from those models. I certainly I am persuaded by uh, you know by arguments that say we need to keep some level of inflation targeting yes. in part to you know to condition the market or to show uh, policy preference in a particular direction um, and and it's not my area of expertise so I'm not going to go deep into into that except to say that uh, there, there is a need as Ed Balls suggests uh, to you know, to be flexible over policy mm-hmm. authority mm-hmm. and and to cede some ground to to treasuries or finance ministries, yeah. while you retain your operational autonomy yes. uh, as a central bank. So that's the argument that they make, and I think it's it sounds it's sound and reasonable something. because there are certain questions that those who sit in the monetary policy committee may not answer you know and the public has a right to ask questions about growth employment yes. and and the role of uh, of interest rates in stimulating growth and and job creation and and you can't just say look you know we are gods yeah. you know we're not going this to be subjected space. we are going to be yeah, i mean that's that's really is nonsensical so i think the oversensitivity is 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 rather are short-sighted.
0: Which, in a way, Doug, I think probably raises, um, I mean, the Reserve Bank has its own issues and sensitivity and what have you, but then it raises a question about the kind of, or the level of coordination um, within government, within the state as a whole, if you take the Reserve Bank to be an institution of the state, in a way, where it still retains its autonomy, but it acts as part of a collective. Uh, in a sense yeah. uh, in that we're all pursuing a sound economy and what have you uh, so you've got uh, Minister Patel uh, on the one hand telling us all sorts of uh, fantastic things that government needs to do with the economy to invest and attract yeah, investment yeah, and what yeah, have you yeah. and then you've got Dito uh, Moeli on the other hand who's fighting his own Massive issues with the wastage within within the public sector, yeah. uh, especially, but also encouraging business to to plow in that money. And then you've got the Reserve Bank, which refuses to make credit cheap. Anyway, yeah,
1: yeah, Look, I mean the 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 flip side is that you can't open up the Reserve Bank entirely as if it was a government department, and uh, you have to. Uh, protected from narrow um, sectoral interests and if you and Paraminum I'm conflicted around this because on the one hand I really think that in theory uh, and it's become practice in other countries you you must have an open debate about uh, the broader questions of monetary policy linked to you know to growth and, uh, and, and and employment I mean some have argued that if you look at the mandate of the you know the fed in the u s it it cuts across all those uh, dimensions very explicitly, not that growth and employment are going to be an indirect uh you know outcome of a well done monetary policy, but they have to be an explicit, sorry, explicit mandate. Of course, there, are, there will be tensions as to uh, how fast uh, you know the the Fed moves. Yes. Um, it, politicians will always question whether it's moving fast yes. enough, as is the case in the tension, as, as is seen in the tension between, say, Powell and Trump. New Zealand also similarly; it's similar. You have. Um, very explicit, uh, you know, explicitly stated mandate of growth and jobs. Uh, So so it's a kind of discussion that would be great to have. How has the global economy changed, especially since the 2008 uh, global financial crisis? In what ways have economic fundamentals shifted? What we know about growth, what we know about the relationship between various macroeconomic factors, do those still obtain I mean, they, outside of the monetary policy, looking at um, other elements of macroeconomic yes. policy, say, you know, measures to stimulate growth, questions are being asked about the quality of growth, yep. rather than just quant- growth, camp- but it, quant- quantitatively, right? Yes. So, so in theory, that's great, but you also need to provide sufficient protection yeah for the central bank from sectoral narrow sectoral interest because the manner in which the economic debate has been taking place in south africa is is that you know it gets polarized ideologically yeah. you get labeled that you are a neoliberal if you yes, yes. if you say yes, some and things uh, even and if they make sense even if they make sense if you open a discussion about the you know, we need the, the the state to own the central bank. You may have very sound reasoned arguments, mm-hmm. but you know the the z the zealots would on the other mm. extreme will characterise you as populist nationalist and will want to shut you out. Yes. So we don't have a healthy space to engage in productive debate on economic policy in South Africa. I mean, what just lastly, do do I mean, if people want to have a discussion about macroeconomic mm-hmm. policy, they pick one element, which yes. is interest rates, yes. and then they want to forget way, about yeah. everything as that if is, that's going to be the be all and end all. Yeah. Even though I personally think that uh, where we had currently, um, you know, with consumer confidence is down, um, you know, Business confidence is not that great. You you want to inject a certain, um, you know, a certain measure of confidence in the economy. You want people to to spend. Uh, of course, we want them to save. But when the economy is in a state of near crisis, you want you want to see that that activity.
0: But let me ask you this, doc, um, because I think probably every every person who does not necessarily have a dog in this race, will agree that we are in a bit of a crisis. Mm-hmm. We do have green uh, green shoots, but yeah, we yeah. are in a yeah, crisis. Yeah, yeah. Your sense, I mean, I know it hasn't been long that the council has been active. Uh, you probably have a, a much stronger feel of how the president feels about the state of play currently. But you're feeling broadly, you know, um, in the places where you've interacted around our state of being currently do you get the sense that people appreciate the fact that we're in crisis that there are certain difficult decisions that may have to
1: be taken now rather than later it's a very difficult question it's a very difficult question i mean there are certain things that are, are happening which raise uh enthusiasm which which you know build enthusiasm and sort of cultivate positive goodwill. For an example, you know, the investment conference that we have. I mean, we're cynical a lot in South Africa. Mm -hmm. People will say, well, many of these projects were already in the pipeline, some of the pledges, uh, you know, a mini school, you know, and so on. So so there would be those those questions. Uh, The fact that we have a... Uh, you know this reimagined industrial policy process driven by Minister Patel is something that is positive. You can quibble with the with the content with the detail of it right uh, whether there is is this fundamentally new or is this reordering of of the chairs in in a titanic mm-hmm. i don't want to say sinking one because I think we we can you know we, we the boats can believe that if if government can can speak with one voice especially the economic class my, my sense is is that we, we we still have a lot of goodwill they they still you know there is a sense of agency from from the president um, They there are in my personal observation certain certain forces that limit the extent to which he or, or other, you know, key ministers in government are able to exercise decision-making and authority fully. And, uh, you know, and this is not to excuse them. At the end of the day, the buck stops with the president. Yeah. It's got to do what needs to be done um, to respond to a state of crisis. I mean, there, there's a saying that when there's massive fire, um, the last thing you want to do is to reach for PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. You you want to go and get the, you mm-hmm. know, the, the hospital the host Pipe, you know, like you know, the uh, gallons of of of, of water and, and get fire out. I mean, we've just gotten downgraded recently. Yeah. We're not at sub investment grade yet, but we we don't want to get to that point yes. for a number of reasons. One important is that we 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 don't have a sense of our state of resilience, economic resilience, as South Africans, and and it's not too difficult to guess that when you. Look at the level, the level, the the rate of unemployment in the country and the number of people who are earning uh, social grants. Anything that would erode that and that would worsen the, you know, the state of unemployment would really require, it would require magic, a miracle to, to get back to our feet. Yes. So we, we don't want to get to that yes. point. So you want to see a lot more urgency. Than you are witnessing now. Um, You want to see a sense that we are really serious about the things we're talking about. You know, the state owned enterprises, something has got, something must be done. Okay, we've had the debate, we've had the perspective, the different views, Um, but just do something, you know, just get there. What would you do, Doug? When look, Let's say you are
0: yeah, yeah. president and <laughs> Tito in one. Yeah. This decision <laughs> is entirely up to you.
1: What uh, I, I'm not going to answer that first question <laughs> except <laughs> to say that um, you know I, I want to answer say it because you close it, would, it, would, it would come across as as, as being too simplistic about difficult conversations. difficult conversations. But if you are in that position, when you are not in that position, you, you can very well theorize, yeah, you yeah. can say whatever, you can be relaxed, you can have, you can be ideological about the problem, but when you are in that position, in that hot seat, the you've got to language. decide, right, so and wherever you look where countries have undertaken massive reforms, we're not unique in being in a, in a place where we, we, we ought to take reforms. China in the, in the ni- 1980s, especially intensified, you know, the reforms were undertaken, intensified in the late 1980s, where they had to make big decisions about state-owned enterprises uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the railway sector, in steel, in finance, in, in telecoms, a uh, large part, they, and this is what a lot of people don't realize, China depended a lot on external support to drive its initial reform process, especially reforming state-owned enterprises, right? So, And and when you talk about reform state-owned enterprises, the debate quickly de- degenerates to blanket privatization yes. versus state yes. holding the fort. Yes. And, and we have to move beyond that. Yes. Some SOEs, we've got to let them go. I mean, China had this slogan or this uh, sort of motto that let go of the small and keep the big. I would say let go of non core assets, those that drain money from the state and will never ever return money to yeah. you know to, to shareholder or create value for development. Yes. And you can lay hold of the strategic yes. those um, you know SOEs that are part of your arsenal for building a developmental state, for, for driving yes. deep economic change in, in the economy, but manage them well, right? Yes. So we have to move beyond state versus non-state. It's how you do it, but also uh, in some of the SOEs, you might want to bring in, you know, strategic partners that are private, you know, equity. Yeah, but the, the idea that you can just simply convert the loan of PIC into... Equity yeah, is, is 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 really a lazy yes. approach because you've got to make a lot of calculations about um, the you know the value of the the assets of of public servants in in the long run. You've got to think about um, you know what what does this mean if uh, these entities never turn around? Why don't you invite P I C on those that really have strategic value and that would. If they succeed, and they can succeed, you've made that calculation, yeah. uh, uh, generate value for the, for the economy. Uh, so so they, 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 um, there are sets of choices that need to be taken, and they are not easy to take. But you know, the final point is that even if you were to plan your, your reform process or your structuring measures in, in the best possible way, they are going to be losers. You know mm-hmm. they are going to be losers, but you don't leave mm-hmm. it at that. You don't say, "Well, they are going to be losers, tough luck. Mm-hmm. They are going to be losers." you've got to have a plan, a convincing one in it, on how what what to do with losers. Yeah, what to do with losers? Uh, are you going to put together a package of social safety net for them? Are you you know how you going to calibrate mm-hmm. your if you're going to do retrenchments as they may be necessary in some SOEs mm-hmm. when you restructure them, or if, even if you bring in a private equity partner, because it, it will not want to uh, have a liability of, you know, superfluous workers that may drain, you know, the, that may be a big part of the cost structure for the of the entity. So, as 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 the state, you need to answer those questions, yes. um, yeah, and do so meaningfully, yeah, yeah. Which which brings
0: me, uh, doc, to The role of labor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've seen this past week, um, SAA has a strike. Uh, Workers are demanding 8%. Yeah. We know SAA needs a $2 bailout just to pay salaries. Yeah. Um, And labor has gone on strike, I think it's five or six days now. They've been asking for sympathy strikes at uh, Mango, Air Express. I think the chefs, Air Chefs, will also be going on strike. SAA has said to cancel a number of its international routes and domestic routes. So, at right this moment, it looks like SAA is about to go under, unless something magical happens. Now, Labour is there to protect the interests of its workers, of its members, that being workers. Undeniable. That is its role. Mm-hmm. But I think we've also moved to a place where we've said, Labour is a partner. Not, it's not just there to represent the interests of its workers. It's, the, it's a partner for the state, it's a partner for business, and all of us have a stake in seeing the country develop, prosper, grow. Yeah, in yeah. your view, yeah. is labor doing enough on that matrix? Where it's saying we are not just about the protection of our members, that matters vastly and in the most fundamental way to us, but there's a bigger picture that all of us need to be realistic about. And that bigger picture sitting right here at this moment that uh, SAA can't afford 8% because it doesn't even have money probably for even 1%. And that's just, those are just facts. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a question about wage increases. Uh, it's, it's very clear that you can't increase wages under these conditions, in my view. Uh, there is a different question about layoffs See, That is a really, really, it's a question that can be answered glibly, yeah. Right? So, you can't seek wage increases when there is no money, when the kitty it's has no money, right? It's not increasing, it will never increase. It's 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 short-termist, it's shooting yourself in the foot. Um, so, so let's park that. Let's so the, the question of layoffs. Some people say, well, you know retrenchment retrenchments are inevitable because the airline is bleeding or whatever entity uh, we, we're talking about. Imagine for a while we say, okay, there are going to be these layoffs because of a collective national project, you know, like we have to preserve mm. the state and you know the, the fiscal and, and all of that. Right? We have to um, you know, uh, defend our debt ceiling our needs. And, and and reduce the debt because there are trade-offs in, in the state. Uh, imagine where will those people go? You know, they go, you know, some live in Alexandra, some live in Kailicha, in Langa, some will go back to Ghiani, some will go back to Lusikisiki. Um, it will add to the socio-economic pressure in the country, right? So, so we've got to deal with that question very sensitively. Um, and, and both, by the way, are important, because labor will always want to defend the interests of its members uh, by def- one defending jobs, no retrenchments, no one loses their jobs, and, and no one has, has, has gone that far yet. The government, as far as I know, has not made uh, pronouncements that people are going to lose their jobs. Yes. Right. Now you go to wage increases. Um, we you know, as I argue, and I'm quite open about this in my personal view that I don't think it's t- it's untenable to do that kind of thing because of its it's its its um its implications for a whole range of things i mean it's uh, the economy and society is not just about maintaining s a a and keeping wages going, having said that. In, it, this reflects a much bigger problem that should be at the center of our conversation when we, when we deal with, um, you know, measures or approaches to restructure or to, uh, you know, to negotiate industrial relations. And this is an absence of a social compact that is credible, that says, as government, this these are the sacrifices that we are making. Mm-hmm. I mean you can't have a bloated cabinet that you have today and, and all the it's still very bloated and all the measures that you implement are to do with cost containment on on privileges such as, you know, that you will no I mean, longer drive a million, uh, million rand car, you'll drive an eight hundred I mean it's it's it's, uh, it's laughable, you know, it really is laughable. It's an insult, anyone who looks at this, you know, you have, you have a, a massive um, patronage system that's, that's, that's still there, a you know, the machine that is still there, uh, duplication of roles in, in, some, in some departments, but a very big government, a very big government, right? Um, so the state has to be able to make serious Trade-offs. You know, these are things we put on the table. These are our trade-offs. Um, the boards of these entities could either be reduced significantly because we are in a crisis. We can't afford to have compensation that goes to big boards. Um, you know, bonuses to top layer would have to would have to come down. You know, the the executives would have to take the hit first and. A proper restructuring even has to start at the top. Yes. You start at the top so that when it comes down, you would have already demonstrated that we've dealt with the top. Yes. You know, the, the pain, with the, leadership, the leaders yeah. and the managers have, have taken the pain. Um, so, you know, we are asking you to, to also come. Asking, you know, yes. And over and above that, because of the power asymmetry, economic power asymmetries, we have a further uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, safety net for you uh, to compensate the losers. Because a senior exec or senior manager losing will tomorrow reincarnate as a consultant or an advisor or somewhere in the public sector or, or a business person, uh, an entrepreneur. But a general worker, someone at, at lower levels, uh, in an organization will find it hard to reincarnate yeah. as a consultant or as, as an entrepreneur in a very serious way that participates in the mainstream economy so you 've got to have a uh, safety net for for, for for those people you can 't say well sorry that's is, that yeah. 's that go to the go to Giani go yeah. to Kaili Cha, you know go to Ghanini or whatever so so these questions have to be have to be you know it, people have to be serious about this. And, I, and, and I'm not sure to what extent is there a coordinated approach in government to present a framework for structuring that is, you know, that is humane, uh, but also decisive in terms of, you know, what needs to be done. Um, yeah, so I think, every, I think there is a sense that, there's a sense of understanding of what the destination ought to be but there is no bridge, uh, you know, there are no means and ways defined to, to get there, and you can have the best possible vision of a destination, but if you have no plan to get there, we would be here in the next five years, but maybe in a far more west state, far west state than, 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 than we are.
0: Two, two, two of the means of, of getting us to some, some, some mm. paradise lower level of paradise of course yeah. that have been spoken about widely it's tourism yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and it's agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Now tourism receives a lot of press, so I don't want to talk about tourism per yeah, se, yeah, yeah, but I do yeah. want to talk about agriculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think every study that comes out keeps on telling us yeah. the amount of jobs that can be derived from agriculture. Yeah. It's quite a lot of jobs. Yeah. Food security is tied up nicely. Uh, with it, uh, exports are tied up into it. yet somehow agriculture, because it requires land, it 's tied up in politics. Hmm. where it 's not tied up in politics, you don 't get the agency that ought to be there. You look at a province such as the Eastern Cape. Everyone acknowledges the Eastern Cape that the Eastern Cape has huge agricultural potential. Wanda shop who has done a piece, uh, I think two or three months ago, mm. about the potential of the Eastern Cape to, to harness its agricultural potential and do all of these fantastic things. But yet, somehow you don't get a sense that policymakers and decision makers in these places, and largely even uh, in the country as a whole, we yeah. talk about it, we say all sorts of nice things about it, but when you look at the practical measures to actually channel support towards farmers you don't necessarily get the same sense so we
1: talk big but we're not acting big yeah is this your sense Do you disagree? yeah yeah i mean the the area of land and agriculture is a very sensitive one and here i tend to defer to to one in club, who who is my tutor on, on 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 this theme um i mean i've i've done some work uh, among, among, amongst um, emerging farmers in, in the Eastern Cape, in nearly water, in the sort of ponderland area. And the problems are vast, you know, the problems are vast. Um, they are major problems with infrastructure. They me just take, if you're driving from Howden to, say, the former Transkei using the Anabeg, you know you you drive uh, even when you 're still in Haldan, you see quite a bit of irrigation you get to fri it's 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 awesome it 's really wonderful that is if you look use the other route you know the i think it 's the Alwal north north route yes, if you take yes. you know you look at the first aid yeah. irrigation and fantastic it's great right um, you use the underback to the former Transkai you say you know the northern parts of Transkai. You will say you're going going to Matatiele, uh, for argument's sake. Uh, you see irrigation up to the end of August. K- K- you, know, you see green greenery. You see, you know, the land is fertile, it's productive. Then you you get you start to get to areas such as your Davangere or your Matatiele, your your Mount 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 Frame Zimvobu, uh, um, sorry Zimvobu. It, it, the landscape has changed. It's poverty. It's poverty. Yet the land, the land is there. The land is there. Um, infrastructure is poor. When you start to get into towns, you can wait in the small towns for 45 minutes to an hour to get out. The roads are, are not in a good condition from the villages to, to towns. So, you know, farmers, those who try to farm, to take their produce to, to town. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing because the roads are bad. Uh, transport might be very expensive. Um, inputs are really very expensive because they the, because there are no economic. There's very little economic activity in those areas. Incomes are very low. Yes. Inputs are expensive. There are programs that uh, you know the Department of Rural Development and Agriculture in the Eastern Cape has done, and the former you know rural uh, land land development Department um, of Land development to supply inputs and to support farmer development programs through your your grain essay and so on but those programs are not effective largely because they are not at scale one two they they are on an infrastructure that is creaking mm-hmm. and, um, and and they sit on uh, on areas that are that have deficits, huge deficits, irrigation. Uh, and most importantly, most importantly, they, uh, they don't have roots to markets. There are no market linkages Agriculture is still dominated by far, uh, by white, very tiny, you know, white, uh, small, commercial farmers. Uh, you know, they, the farming units in South Africa are under 40,000. I think they're declining. They used to be over hundred thousand. They they're declining. The concentration is across the value chain from you know from inputs. Go and see who owns uh, seeds, who owns fertilizers, fertilizer, who owns agrochemical agrochemicals, um, who owns logistics. Uh, you look at uh, who who owns market linkages. You know the. Who has access to the markets who are off takers mm. and and where do they off take from hardly from you know from smallholder farmers mm. so so the, there's, there's massive market failure in the in the areas that you you you're referring to in 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 the eastern cape uh in Limpopo, where the black farmers are farming even in pumalanga i mean you you go if you go towards hazy view there is a stressed stretch of road where it's poisons and Siennes, uh, valemse and Siennes, all irrigated. They work as cooperatives. Yes. They are under cooperative structures that offtake their produce to the market, right? And then you you all of a sudden hit a dry patch where black people are, yes. and and so so they are they are the the area of land and agriculture in South Africa will always be heavily contested because it has denied black people mm-hmm. opportunity to, to participate meaningfully in the value chains and government has failed them. Dismally. Uh, has failed them dismally. I mean, if you look at the, the Land Bank, the Land Bank was formed in 1912 um, under the Land Bank Act, just a year before you know, the, uh, the Land, the Native it Act the of 1930, 1930. It was formed with a very clear objective to support um African farmers who were um who would who would work as in, in cooperative structures and, and these were blighted by poverty you know post you know anglo boer War the drought you know they're in the past back in the late 19th century so they they, they you know, the countryside after the war was dilapidated it was dry you know there was also you know the this bout of drought so the land bank came to rescue the Afrikaner farmer and essentially to commercialize the Afrikaner farmer and to make sure that they are prosperous, Mm -hmm. you know, they are protected from the vicissitudes of the market and the chilly winds of poverty. Government set up these marketing boards Mm -hmm. where they provided price guarantee and there were extension services that would go and service these farmers to make sure. So everything was done to make sure that a white African farmer doesn't succeed. And before the, the, the land bank was formed, before some of the harsh laws um, of apartheid came in, the most successful group of farmers were black farmers mm-hmm. who were farming as uh, sharecroppers uh, in the highlands. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of farming commerci- commercially in the Ponderland, in parts of Free State. So they, those stories are documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, So the myth that the black people can't farm farm is, you know, it's it's really a disservice. And and unfortunately, the government has not done enough to support uh, black farmers. And and I've interacted. I mean, I've worked on the ground with smallholder farmers. I know intimately there are are challenges. You go to, you try to talk to off-takers, they will tell you that, you know, the volumes are too small to be involved there. You know the market is far from where these people are uh-huh. or you know things like your standards and quality checks i mean look at livestock sector mm-hmm. if you want to take another commodity the uh, the highest concentration of livestock in south africa is in the eastern cape mm-hmm. but you move around the eastern cape you'd be hard-pressed to find feedlots you'd be hard you know hard-pressed to find abattoirs mm-hmm. um there's no serious commercial farming. It's starting in small trips and in, in some in yes. place, but it doesn't reflect the, the potential, potential of the of area. The area. Yeah. And I think Dr. <clears> Gronin, <throat> uh, you touched on, on, on a very
0: important element, which is uh, the off-taking and the marketing support, because I think this is truly uh, access to markets. It's, yeah, pro- yeah. it's probably the same thing that is uh, killing small black businesses that receive funding from government yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to invest in operations, to skill the people, yeah, yeah. but the link about with, with Mark, access yeah. to market is never closed. Yeah. As a result, you can give me 200000 right now to develop skills, but if I don't have access to markets, you are wasting yeah. money. So it's the same thing most likely with agriculture, where you can give someone seeds for 20000 but if they can't sell what they grow in the right. end. You've literally wasted yeah, money. I've wasted. It's, it's um, hobby farming. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hobby farming. But now, as we, as we close, Doc, um, there's, a, there's a development which I think is taking the world uh, in interesting ways over the last three years, and that relates to the herb, the plant, marijuana. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. the
0: Canadians yeah. have found ways to, to, to regulate, to harness the yeah. potential. The Dutch, I think, have been far ahead of everyone. Um, I think the Americans are catching on to this. Uh, and suddenly it's, it's becoming an economic opportunity for the mainstream economy, yeah, where yeah. it's been largely the black market and what have you. Yeah. Now we know areas um, in the trans sky have excelled in this endeavor uh, for the longest time. Yeah, the even, Absolutely. And today, the South African government still does not have a proper policy on how this industry is going to be dealt with as an economic opportunity.
1: Yeah, I see. This is, I mean, we've written about this particular help, uh, and deliberately, uh, you know, to pass some of the myths, and, and I'm not denying that there might be health problems with this, and, but we, we tend to lump things that are unrelated is. together, I mean, you know... The, I've also read studies. I'm not a not a scientist, but I've read lots of studies about you know the toxi- the toxicity of yes. of, of uh, cannabis in relation to what doctors would prescribe to patients or what you get over the counter in some countries um, to alcohol and to all sorts of things that don't have um, that may not have economic value that goes far so as a result because we tend to focus on the high yeah. you know on the high you know the you know that people get dependent and so on and that you know our prisons are full of criminals who committed crime under the influence of, of drugs and and when we say drugs we think marijuana but it, it could have been a, you dick. Know, it's a dick or you know, or, or cocaine I mean in the township where we grew up people were smoking petrol. Uh, benzene and and diesel. Maybe because sniffing it, dog smoking it. I think. Yeah, I mean sniffing. And yeah, and I don't know. See I mean, them going that's, on that's, Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what I meant. Sniffing, sniffing, Yeah, sniffing glue. Yes. But no one called for the banning of of <laughs> petrol, of glue, <laughs> <oil>, of <laughs> benzene. I mean, it's it's just crazy, right? Yes. Um, but when it comes to marijuana, it's abuse. People get all you know, thing. It forecloses. A space for creative and innovative thinking about what we can do yes. with this crop if it's reclassified, if it's rescheduled uh, as an as a, as a crop um, and, and also as as um, as a commodity that can be used for you know that can be deployed for economic use mm-hmm. that has value addition for hemp you know clothing and textiles um, for industrial use in in terms of your your your, your car belts. Um, that has used for, uh, you know, so uh, pharmaceuticals. pharmaceuticals for medicinal epilepsy. And in some countries, some clinical trials have, show, have shown that you know it, it cures epilepsy. Um, you know, uh, all sorts of. I mean, there, there's been a, profi- a medicinal profiling, which is why in some countries they would allow yes. uh, clinical trials on on this. Um, so, so without getting into those details, but just to make this point that the South Africa has endowment uh, of a particular type or strand of, of cannabis uh, and, and this has not been fully explored except under the shadow of illegality uh, you know, in the black informal market and, and so on. Anyway, I undertook I some you know, field research in this so to, just, to look at the licensing Regime there. I, I did some studies on what's happening in Zimbabwe, what's happening in Swaziland, what's happening in uh, in Ghana, uh, in various other countries in the African continent. One of the dangers when we get to the point of full legalization of uh, and commercialization of cannabis is that it could create stratification. Those with money to to if if licenses are expensive, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and and they, I would I would guess it's it could pure be a revenue of, thing. You it's you know, about, yeah, yeah white businesses would, you know, the entrenched players would continue to be entrenched. So I think, here we have an opportunity for government. I mean, the, I sit on the agriculture master plan, um, you know, that that reports to the minister of agriculture, and as one of the experts there. Uh, I, I'm not speaking for them here, uh, but just to say, it's one of the crops that have been identified, or commodities that have been identified, where work will need to be to be done uh, to inform the master plan on agriculture. And, and uh, my sense is that there is commitment in government to, to get to that place, but it's moving slow. Um, reasons for for the pace. Some of the reasons are understandable, because you don't want to botch a controversial sort of commodity. Um, it's a long, it's a yeah, yeah, template. It's a long yeah. template. And we can learn lots of mistakes from countries like Lesotho. I mean, Lesotho was one of the first countries um, in the world. Uh, I think after Canada, Argentina, and then you have your Lesotho. Uh, but the first movers don't always have it good. Yeah. So, they, so there's a follower advantage. I think we can... Uh, learn those, from those mistakes and, and do it right. And, and for me, my commitment, you know, I, would, I would like to see government explicitly supporting you know, new black businesses to thrive in the cannabis space from industrial hemp to medicinal. Let us for, you know, for once create black capitalists in South Africa in the new sectors. I mean, this is a new sector for South Africa. Let's use it to, to support, promote, uh, and support them with resources. Uh, you know, new entrants, new black players, uh, small medium enterprises that are black, small players in ruseke in, in, um in, in Liborde, who are operating under them. In mean, California, for an example, when they... Re, when when they legalize, uh, you know, they decriminalize cannabis, and uh, and and then you know the crop moved into commercial spaces, open commercial spaces. People who were preferred for licenses were those who had been arrested. Mm for illegal possession of marijuana. Yes, yes. So, I mean, this is a, yeah. you, you're reaffirming, yes. the, the, you know, the esteem, yes. because if you had been, any, you know, you've been to jail, you know, your esteem is really yes. So, it's a way, it's, it's a goodwill. So, yes. in, in this case, the first people to be on the queue, to be at the front of the queue, should be those in KwaZulu-Natal, in the Pondoland, in and the yeah, Popo. Cops,
0: you know. Right, like cops. You know, uh, from yeah, eggs, even
1: uh, spraying their food crops that exactly. are with, with, uh, it, with, with the cannabis. Yeah, yeah. So on yeah the just field. as a uh, social justice, yes. right? So I think people should, I think we should be open about, we should um, speak openly about cannabis, mm-hmm. that it needs to be um, decriminalized, uh, not just for private use, mm-hmm. um, but also for, for other uses, medicinal use, adults who want to use it, well whatever reasons they should be free i mean they can make decisions um and uh and and you you, you close off channels for drug trade yes. to countries that don't allow it yes. so it makes your systems or your you know your your trade routes a lot more transparent yes, yes. Uh, so you don't it's lose out commercially because of concerns about you know the drug the drug use illegal drug usage mm. of it yeah Doc? I would love for us. There are so many
0: other things uh, that I would have loved for us to, to, to get deeper into. But I think for today, let's yeah. let's close it here. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity again in the future uh, to have another chat about these, these matters. Uh, there's just so much that, that we could talk about. Uh, so thank you. for Yeah, thanks to thank you. you. I enjoyed,
1: enjoyed the conversation on a Friday afternoon. Yes. Uh,
0: hopefully we can do something new. no we'll definitely we'll definitely make a plan and uh, to you the listeners thank you for joining us for this edition of frontline conversations till next time thank you bye